have that goal though, if you're looking forward and you're saying, hey, we're gonna be out of debt in 12 months or we're gonna be paying off our house in the next four years. I mean, that's a goal that can help you to curb your spending, to stick with your spending because you know that there's a bigger payoff down the line. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson, and on this episode of Getting Money Right, we're going to answer more of your financial questions. That's right. Lately, we've received a lot of questions, either through social or just talking to people one-on-one. And so we're just going to dive right into those questions. We knocked out three in the last episode. And so I think we're going to be able to knock out three more today. So the first question that came up was, we've created a budget and set aside an automatic draft to savings every month. So awesome. But we're always having to take money out of savings to get through the month. Uh, we're just not able to save. Mm-hmm. So yep. almost a little bit of a question, almost a little bit of a uh, just statement. We can't save. Like we save, but then we have to pull from it every month. Yeah, well, first, a good job on prioritizing saving. You know, one of the steps to purposeful living that we talk about is to save before you spend. And it sounds like you guys are doing that. So kudos to you. Good job there. Now, how to make it actually work for you Let's dive into what that looks like. (laughs) So there's two main reasons usually why we would have to take money out of savings to get through a month. First is that your budget is just not, dare I say, maybe realistic. Maybe you hope that you'll spend less than you think you will, and then it doesn't actually happen. So you're not funding your categories adequately. And it's really important that you realize that if you don't do that, it's almost like you're hoping to spend less, but in reality, it's really difficult because that category or those categories need more money. It's just what you need to do. You need to be realistic about how much money you need for these different areas. So that's number one. And then number two is you're not sticking to it as planned. You know, discipline is part of budgeting. You have to stick to whatever category balances you've decided to spend each month. Without that, it's really difficult. So yeah, this is why we always talk about unity. If you're married, um, making sure that both people are fully bought into this plan that Mm -hmm. you are planning together for your future. And so when it comes to following the plan, it's a lot easier if both people are in complete agreement to the plan. That's why we always go back to unity. And and so uh, A, your budget may not be realistic. B, you may not be sticking to the plan as described. But I also want to say, if this is your first six months of budgeting, let's Mm -hmm. say you're starting the process, uh, guess what? It's normal. That's right. It is normal to have these kind of things going on. And we don't want you to feel bad or feel weird about it. Um, it, You're going to come across some expenses that you just didn't include in your budget because you didn't know about them. Like you didn't think about them in advance. This is your first time to get really serious and intentional about your money. Uh, And so don't feel bad if the first six months to a year a little bit of this happens. Uh, you, you may not allocate enough money to a category and you may be learning, hey, I need to move more money over here month to month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll need to make two basic adjustments. One, enough to cover the expenses when they come in. Like, hey, I got a, something, a car repair came in, you know, whatever it is. You're going to have to make an adjustment and pull from a category that is non-essential mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and go ahead and make that adjustment for the month. So you may be eating out less that month. 
You may be going to the movies less. You may buy less expensive food at the grocery store. Right. You may have to lower your grocery budget just a little bit. Um, that's the first way to do it. Yeah. And then the second is that you need to make that adjustment so that in the future, when this expense comes, you're not caught off guard again and having to, again, rob your savings. So anytime an expense comes that's um, either more than you thought it would be, or it's one of those things, like David said, you just didn't think about it when you created your budget. Because let's be honest, it's hard to think about every expense you have in the course of a year. So when two, three months down the road, you get that expense that you didn't think about, then you have to make that adjustment, as David said, to cover it for that month. But then you also have to think about, okay, how can I be prepared next time? So let's say uh, an extra birthday happens, right? You didn't think about a person that you always buy a gift for. Well, that's an extra, let's say, $50 for the year that you have to allocate toward gifts. So now you take that 50, you divide it by 12, and you come up with a, you know, $4 or whatever per month so that you're bringing that back into your budget. And unfortunately, this is what makes it difficult is that it's an expense you didn't think about, which means now you have to go back to your budget, take money from one other area, and it's always a non-essential area, right? You can't take it from your rent. You can't take it from your electricity bill. You have to take it from those things that you can adjust. So as you do that, it prepares you for next time. Here's the positive side of this. As you do this over time, it will get easier, right? Over time, our income grows. Over time, our finances are better managed. There's less surprises that bring us into the situation. So it will get better and you will be able to save, but you have to think about those two things. One, if you've not allocated for it or if your budget isn't realistic, make the adjustments and just say, hey, this is what it is. Let's just do our best to stick with it. And second, be disciplined. Stick to the categories that you've actually said you would spend that amount in. Don't go over that because otherwise it won't work. Earlier, I said that if you are in the first six months to a year of budgeting, this is normal, it's okay, it's going to take some flex. But then I want you to know that if you've been budgeting for more than a year and you've been on this plan for a while and you're still having to rob from different categories, then it's a discipline issue or um, a lack of real planning and intentionality. And you're going to have to commit to this budget. You're going to have to commit to that savings. Right. You're going to have to be very intentional. And and that, especially if you're married, is going to come down to communication every month. And maybe it's every two weeks. If you get paid every two weeks, every two weeks or every month, sitting down, looking at the plan, agreeing of what you're going to be spending that month and continuing in that. So I just, I, on the one hand, if it's in the first six months to a year, I don't want you to feel bad. These are normal adjustments. If it's been over a year of you living on this particular plan, then that means that you need to make some real adjustments and you need to shift the way you're thinking about this plan and and maybe pick a goal in the future that you're going towards yeah. and that you're thinking, hey, the reason that we're doing this is so that we can be debt-free, so that we can pay off our home at a certain time, that we mm -hmm. can have a certain amount going into retirement so that if something happens to our jobs at some point in time, we know that we can continue to live and maintain our lifestyle or just have to take a small reduction in lifestyle. Yeah, I so agree with that. You, you brought up such an excellent point. Budgeting is difficult if you're not going for something that's more important than the daily gratification of whatever it is that you want to do in the moment. If you have that goal, though, if you're looking forward and you're saying, hey, we're going to be out of debt in 12 months or we're going to be 
paying off our house in the next four years. I mean, that's a goal that can help you to curb your spending, to stick with your spending, because you know that there's a bigger payoff down the line. So I love that you brought that up. That is one of the reasons why savings either fails or is actually accomplished, is if you're actually going towards something that's valuable. Mm -hmm. your, your eyes are on the horizon saying, no, I'm not going to go over because I'm going after that. Yeah. And that's so, so powerful. I noticed that in Ashley and I's personal life, that when we have really specific goals that we're both aiming towards, that we're both excited about, mm -hmm. it, you know, we put the pedal to the metal. Yeah. We, we, and we do this, we monitor every expense every month anyway, but we're more serious about it. Like we feel it. If we go over in a category, we're like, oh, I can't believe we did that because we're going towards something together that we're excited about. Right. Once we began to hit a few of our goals, I could feel the pressure coming off. Now, that being said, you don't need to have crazy pressure on your finances your whole life. I'm not saying that every expense should be a, a terrifying moment where it's like, oh no, we went over in a category. No, you have to be able to enjoy your life. <laughs> you have to be able to enjoy your life. So I'm not saying put ridiculous pressure, but I am saying that when you have a goal, it gives you a little bit more unction to go pursue it, to, to intentionally cut expenses, to not overspend. So um, I've experienced it, I've lived it, and I just, I encourage you, if you're single, start to write some goals. If you're married, start to write some goals. <laughs> yep. If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere, but probably won't be where you want to go. That's right. Well, let's look at the next question. Uh, we make a good income, but with teenage drivers in the household, some of our transportation expenses like insurance, fuel, and car repairs have skyrocketed. What do we do, Leo? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one because yes, as especially if you have two or three teenagers in the household, this can be a huge expense. And if you guys remember, we do have a tool that we use, a percentage guideline that helps successful families manage money the right way. So it gives you a percentage of what you should be spending in the area of transportation. Well, if you have teenagers in the house and you have all these expenses, the potential of going over that 15% or so, which is what it's recommended, is very high you're probably going to have a lot more than that. So let's talk about what does it mean when your kids turn teenagers and start driving? Because this shouldn't just be your problem. Oh, <laughs> This should good. not be just your expense. And I know some of you parents are like, but, 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 listen, your kids need to own their own responsibility when it comes to the things that they are entrusted with, like vehicles. So a family budget is not designed to support more than two adults. Please hear me. Two adults and a bunch of kids, yes, but not four or five adults. If your kids are past 16, they should be working to provide for some of those expenses themselves. Now, maybe not 100% of them, but certainly they should help. Because if they don't, now you've got multiple adults as beneficiaries of the budget, but not contributors That's to right. the budget. And that's really, really key to understand. And with your kids, you want to start them on this process early in life. Mm -hmm. So when they're six years old and then eight years old and then 10 years old, you want to be reminding them that they have the opportunity to earn in some areas of life. And that may be chores, that may be uh, commissions for doing chores, that may be helping clean up the neighbor's yard, you know, walking dogs, whatever it is. Uh, teach your kid a, a skill. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it could be photography and graphic design. I, now I know we're talking about a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old. I'm not talking about professional, but I'm saying give them some little things that they can do to earn some money. 
and then begin casting vision that one day they will need a vehicle mm-hmm. and kind of point to the road. Uh, everybody that they know probably in their sphere of influence uh, that is an adult has a vehicle and it's okay if they don't, but you know, if the majority of people have a vehicle, so say son, daughter, one day mm-hmm. you are going to need a vehicle. And so we're going to begin saving for that today. And maybe you match them as they go. But now you've, you've set that vision early on. You've set the expectation early on. You reinforce it every couple of years or maybe every couple of months yeah. to just continue to yep. let them know so that when they get there, they're ready. I remember when I went to go buy my first car, uh, my parents were phenomenal. They taught me a lot of great things, but I knew nothing about vehicles and I had not been saving for years. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I, I bought like an $8,000 car, but I didn't have $8,000. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and an $8,000 car turns out to be like $250 a month. And I think I, I was earning, you know, maybe three to $400 a month at, as making like $5 and 25 cents at the movie theater, mm-hmm. you know, just making popcorn and selling concessions. But if I didn't work for a week or if I went out of town or something happened, I did not make enough money to pay for that car. And I never even thought about it. Now, the cool thing is my parents extended grace and there, and there was margin, but it would have been so much better if we'd had those conversations in advance. And, and everybody in the family recognized David's not gonna be able to make these $250 car payments as mm. a 16 year old kid, right. you know? So just be aware, set your kids up for success in this area. Yeah, I mean, we have, Natalie and I did that. We did cast that vision for the kids early on. And when they started to earn their own money, especially at, at 16, when they got a job, it was kind of expected. And they knew it's something that we had spoken to them about and reinforced over time that if they were going to drive, they were going to have to pay some of those expenses. And so what we did is some of the ways that you can save uh, your children that expense as well so that it's something you can do but not have it to the point where your budget is stressed out and that you can put them on your insurance policy right yeah. put them on your insurance policy because that's going to give them a better rate but along with that comes hey they need to be a student because they're going to get a discount for that or uh, or at least a b plus student right because mm-hmm. the insurance it companies matters. will give discount for that because it says that if your kid is a good student he's probably a responsible driver so it kind of goes hand in hand Another option is that you can actually help them to maintain their car better. If somebody in your family is mechanically inclined, let them learn from that person how to change their own oil, how to make sure that they're maintaining their vehicle properly so that there's not these expenses that would normally happen uh, that either you would have to contribute to or it would be you know, devastating to them financially because they don't have the means to pay for big bills like that. So there's some things that you can do to help mitigate and lower those costs but ultimately, you should not bear the full burden of that expense. Mm-hmm. Your budget really can't handle it. And again, it's good for your kids to own up to their own responsibility. So there should be this rite of passage. If you're buying and driving a car, that's a responsible thing. You're out there in traffic. You're, you, know, you, you have to be a responsible person to drive a vehicle. So they should have a job so they can pay for their own insurance or part of it for their fuel for their registration, for those kind of things. Those those should be expenses that they're taking on because they're having this benefit of having a vehicle and getting to drive. It's just part of growing up. It's, it's part of growing up. I realize different cities, you know, maybe transportation looks a little bit different. And so if a car isn't the big thing, then you need to find some bigger thing that you can empower your kids to work towards, to save for, 
to pay for as they go. This is this is part of teaching them to be adults. Mm-hmm. This is part of walking them into adulthood where they will have responsibilities every month, bills every month, and they need to be thinking through this and ready for this. So um, I realize everybody's situation is a little bit different. And maybe you have uh, plenty of extra income and you can help your kids with their vehicles still have them work and put some buy-in into that. Or let's say that they're you know, like planning to be collegiate athletes and they, they, they prove themselves another way. I don't know what that looks like, but, but they need to be working this discipline in. All right, so that is question number two. Let's look at our third and final question. So this question says, our medical out-of-pocket costs are very high. Between our doctor visits and our monthly prescriptions, it eats up a significant percentage of our income. So, Leo, this is a big one. Mm-hmm. This is this is tough. You have you have monthly out of pocket costs. You have, um, and maybe it's not even monthly. I mean, this this situation looks like it's pretty consistent. But mm-hmm. let's say you're in a place where maybe every few months or every year or two, there's something coming up medically. Um, what do you do? Yeah, this is a tough one because it's not something that people are looking to overspend in. It's not a, gosh, I think I'm just going to go have another procedure. It's nothing like that. It's This is somewhat happening to me. But I want to challenge that a little bit because I believe that our own health and how we care for ourselves has to be priority for us. Not for others, but for us. We have the benefit of living in a country where we, most of us, can either afford or have a job that covers some of our healthcare premiums. So we can get health care insurance. Most of us have it. Now, the fact that it's expensive, yes, we all know it is, but somehow we can hopefully fit it in. But then beyond that is this out-of-pocket expense. And that has to be something that we can control. We, we need to do our best to try to control it. And I think the best way to do that is to become the primary person who is in charge of your health. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I mean by that. You have to be able to take care of yourself. Just because you have insurance doesn't mean if something happens, I'll just run to the doctor. Is there something you can do to prevent those doctor's visits? Maybe maybe you get through sick three, four times a year. Okay. Are you an unhealthy person because of maybe uh, genetics or is it a lifestyle? You know, there are things that we can do. I found this out personally after I left my last job when I had to get my own, cover my own insurance. I didn't have an employer doing right. it since I was self-employed. And I realized, hey, this is a big cost. So how can I reduce that cost? And it made sense to me that if I stayed healthy and went to the doctor less, then I can buy the cheapest insurance I can afford to cover me for those, you know, yeah, the cancer right. kind of things, but yet cover my own expenses, hoping that I won't have to go to the doctor, but maybe once or twice a year at the most. And if I did, maybe it would be something between 100 to $200, which I can budget for. It's not something that's going to wreck my budget. If it's in the thousands, now we've got problems. Mm-hmm. So usually when I'm coaching someone and their medical bills are hundreds of dollars per month, that's a problem. I mean, that should kind of get your attention. Now, I don't want to be insensitive to those who have, you know, genetic diseases, heart disease, those kind of things that they, you know, they didn't do anything to deserve these. It's just what they are. But for some of us, because we carry a little too much weight, because our blood pressure is too high, we have to be on medications kind of thing. Some of those things we can do something about. And so that's what I mean by owning our own health condition, that we do everything we can to minimize that cost so that we're not just running to the doctor every time we have the sniffles. It should be something that we should be more aware of. And I think that does help. I know it's helped me. In the last three years, I've not had to go to the doctor for being sick. 
and I've had not had health insurance. I have a medical share program that I'm part of, but I haven't had to claim one time to go. And I think that's because I make my health condition a priority. I, I run every day. I, I do something, uh, some kind of exercise, and I watch what I eat. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect in that. I, I do eat sometimes what I want to eat. I mean, life I've is seen you there to enjoy. <laughs> but, but my point is that I, I realize that this could be something that, one, if I'm not careful with, one, I'm going to suffer for, for it physically. My family's going to suffer for it. But even more uh, realistic is that on a day-to-day -day basis, it may cost me way more than I want to spend in this. So some of it is up to us, and I think we need to uh, just be aware of that and make, make the proper adjustments to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. I think that's really wise. And what I've noticed is that uh, people are motivated either by pain or by pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the thing that switches in someone's brain in this area is when they experience the pain of these financial expenses over right. and over again. Right. And they say, okay, I'm going to make a difference because I'm feeling the financial pain. Sometimes it's physical pain. Sometimes it's just frustration. And like, I hate being sick or I hate having to be on this medication. And the pain of that, the frustration of that causes somebody to change their eating habits, change uh, the way that they work out, change the, the people that they're around. And so I think this is really big. If you're in this scenario where the medical costs seem to be higher then maybe you should be looking for a community of people that are engaged in health. Yeah, and a healthier lifestyle. In a healthier perhaps. lifestyle. Yeah. So I love personal finances, so I engage in personal finance communities. Mm -hmm. And so I'm constantly being spurred to, to try harder, to look for ways to reduce expenses, to look for cool places to invest long-term, and to just be thinking through healthy finances. I don't live in a community or, or spend time in a community that focuses on personal health as much physical health. Um, but I, I have enough people around me. I do enough things. I even, I'm even inspired by what Leo does. I've seen what he does. I've seen uh, the way that he takes care of himself. And so the people that you put yourself around will influence your physical health, your financial health, your spiritual health, you know, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And so if this is a place, I know it sounds funny, it's a it's a long-term solution to this problem, but getting around a community, if that, if that means that you go to uh, a Weight Watchers program or an Orange Theory thing or the local gym or, uh, you know, fill in the blank, find something where you're around people who are having this conversation because it will motivate you either by the pain of, of seeing the problems or the pleasure of being around people that you love and trust and respect and doing what they're doing. And there's a value to that. So mm -hmm. who you hang out with matters. I don't remember who it was. I want to say it was tremendous Joe Jones that said, you know, you become the average of the top five people that you spend time with. Right. And so I want to be like Leo. So I spend time with Leo. And I have some other really cool people in my life that I spend time with because I want to be like them. I want to learn and grow. And so I, iron sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. So if health is an issue in your life, find some people that you're spending time with. And the people that don't care at all about their health, um, you may love them. You may still find ways to connect with them. But you may have to lessen the time with them and move into it more time with people who care more about their health. Well, you're... you're Physical health is so, so important because it plays into everything that you do. So if you can find a way to improve your physical health, and that also reduces your financial burden uh, in the medical side of things, then that's a good thing. So again, we're not saying this to anyone that has a medical illness that is not due to their own behavior. 
but we are saying that in America, we have so many benefits, right? We can get every kind of food we want. Uh, so that, yeah. has, that has had a negative impact on our society. I was doing some research the other day and almost 60%, 58.5, I believe it was the number, of Americans are obese, 58%, 36% of adults and 18% of children are obese. Now, that's a problem. That's going to have medical consequences. So we need to own up to that. That's what we're trying to say. Please don't take that as criticism in any way. Uh, we love you. We want you to be successful in every area of your life. And this is one of those things that it does impact our, our do bottom line, the dollar, mm -hmm. uh, or the amount of money that comes out of our pocket if our health isn't good. So that's on the, the more the theoretical or psychological side. But on the personal, practical side, how can we take better care or how can we manage this expense better? And I think one of the ways that we can do that is to take personal charge of the medical treatment that we engage in. You know, a lot of times when we go to an expert, we've been kind of trained in our country, especially because we have so many specialists that we're trained that we just kind of give ourselves over to this person. This person is going to tell us what we need to do. But I think that's foolish in so many ways because we kind of think of this, this idea that, that this person can't do any wrong. Well, first of all, nobody's perfect. Even doctors, even specialists don't have the answer to everything. And so we should never give that responsibility of our treatment to someone else. We should engage them with it. We should talk about our treatment. We should ask questions. We should do everything we can to get the proper treatment, but it shouldn't be blindly so. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes we go into the doctor's office, our brain switches off, and we just say yes to everything. Let me give you a quick example. My daughter, Rachel, was pregnant a little over three years ago with our first granddaughter. And she went to the doctor. It was her first pregnancy, so she didn't know to ask any questions. She went in. They said, well, we need to, to do some blood work. They did the blood work. Well, they did this DNA testing that was supposed to make sure that the baby didn't have certain deficiencies or whatever. Not that there was going to be anything they could do about him, honestly, because she was already on medication. I mean, on some um, prenatal uh, vitamins and those kind of things. So, so she was doing everything she could to make sure that this baby was going to develop well. But they did this test. They didn't tell her what the test was. They just said, we need to do this test. And she said, sure. Well, they did the test. She got a bill for over $2,000. Wow. Out of her pocket. And this was oh, with insurance. She right. had insurance, right. full coverage insurance. And when she went and talked to the doctor about it with the, the staff and said, what's this about? Well, this is what the cost. The insurance doesn't cover it. And because she didn't ask the question, she was stuck with having to pay the bill. Sometimes that happens to us. I know all of you who are listening have probably had that happen at least once mm -hmm. where you didn't ask the question and here you are stuck with the bill because they did a test that you could have said, no, thank you, but I don't think that's necessary. So that's what I mean. If we can minimize that and just look at different treatment options, the tests that we take, the medication that's prescribed, even finding ways to save with like prescriptions like GoodRx. It's one of those apps that if you're going up to the counter to pick up your medication and it's a certain amount, see if you can get that discount. GoodRx is an app that you can get. And uh, many times because of the way it works, it allows for discounts that are offered that you and I may not know anything about. So it may reduce those expenses. There are practical ways you can do it. But I think the main ones is take care of yourself. And number two, make sure that you're the primary person that's making decisions on your treatment. Take the advice of the doctors, but make sure that you're the one in charge. That's great. Well, I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode, and I'm so thankful that you joined us. Uh, if you find it helpful, please rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app that you're using. 
And I just would say, please leave us a recommendation on your social media page. In order to gain access to this podcast, the show notes, financial tools, and other relevant things to this podcast, go to leosabo.com. And Leo, what else can people do to spend time with you? Well, honestly, that's kind of where I hang out, leosabo.com or social media. You can find me if you have questions, if there's a way that I can serve you. Please come there and you learn everything that I do, everything I'm passionate about, and how I might be able to help you. That's great. And if you want to spend some time with me, go over to stewardshippastors.com or check me out on social media, David Thompson. Uh, on Instagram, it's David Thompson Jr. And you can see what I'm up to, what Ashley and I are doing, and what we're going, what's going on in work. Uh, you can also see more about the book, Jesus on Money, at stewardshippastors.com. I'm really excited about it. It's coming together really well. I've been taking a graduate course at the local seminary, and I am learning a ton, which has allowed me to add more to the book than I ever thought possible. So I know you're really going to enjoy that when it rolls out. We look forward to having you join us next time. So together, we we can can keep keep getting getting money money right. are motivated either by pain or by pleasure and so sometimes the thing that switches in someone's brain in this area is when they experience the pain of these financial expenses over and over again and they say okay I'm gonna make a difference because I'm feeling the financial pain Mm